today we are talking about one of the most common listener questions we get every single week. And it's how to handle something very difficult. Do you know what that is, Kieran? It has to be those difficult to answer CEO questions you get late at night. Those are the worst, but not what we're talking about today. Instead, we're gonna talk about how to structure your marketing team on today's episode. Hey, hey, welcome to another episode of Marketing Against the Grain, your podcast for how to grow in counterintuitive ways. I am your host, Kip Bodner, joined as always by my host, live coming to us from Dublin, Ireland, Kieran Flanagan. Kieran, what is up, man? Things are good. I just want to point out for people who are going to start tuning into YouTube, I'm going to start to bring dope sweater game. Uh, Love it. We have an amazing show today. We are going to talk you through some of the common challenges and advice for structuring your marketing team. Let's go. One of the things Kieran and I agree on in today's episode is that designing the right marketing structure for your team is critically important. On today's episode, we are going to cover the guardrails of team design. We're going to give you some of the potholes that you don't want to fall into when you're thinking about team design, help you have a more agile marketing team design, and how strategy should always be the leader of how your team is structured. But first, a quick word from HubSpot. Before we get back to today's show, here's a quick word from HubSpot. Finding a service solution that helps you better connect with customers and keep them happy can feel impossible. Like, try to remember the name of that guy you just met at a networking event. Was it Ron? Could it be Don or John or Sean? Yeah, that kind of impossible. HubSpot's new service hub can help. Well, with the service solution part, at least. It brings service and success together on one powerful platform for the first time ever. With an AI-powered help desk, and an AI chatbot that handles frontline tickets fast. Plus, it comes with a customer success workspace that helps reps anticipate customer needs and a full 360 view of every customer. So your go-to-market team can keep up on the pulse of accounts before trying to upsell or cross-sell. Also, you can scale support and drive retention and revenue. And you know what that means? Better service and happier customers at every stage of the journey. Visit HubSpot.com slash service to do more for your customers today. Before we get into today's episode, if you are a Marketing Against the Grain super fan, you are going to want to wait till the very, very end of this episode. We have something very special for you. So listen to the very last second. Okay, Kieran, team design. It has got to be in one of our top five most asked questions when we talk to marketers, we talk to founders, we talk to basically anybody about marketing ever. Something that quickly comes up is how you want to structure your team. Right. And for our listeners, you can look at team structure and team design and tune out. You're like, ah, I don't really need to know that stuff. I'm going to promise you we are going to give you some reasons that team design is an incredible accelerant. And I think there's one of the things that I always think, Kip, is maybe when you're a C-stage Series A, you can get away with poor team design, incredible execution, and the execution like outweighs team design. But when you get into that Series B, C, and further, team design becomes an incredible unlock. It can either be an accelerant of growth or it can be a true drag on your growth. And it's actually really hard to do. And I thought one of the interesting places for us to start is what should team design even solve for? Yeah, Kieran, before we even get that, I want to take 20 seconds and be like, how do you know you should care about this topic? How do you know you should keep listening to this episode? 
And if you hear things from your team like, I'm uncertain what I'm supposed to do. My goals mm. conflict with this other team's goals. We're not aligned with our sales team or we're not aligned with our product team. If you start hearing those phrases, you have a team design problem. Yes, I, I hate this team. That team sucks. You suck. <laughs> yes. the, 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 more, the more the fingers come out to point, the worse your team design and team communication is. And so if you are hearing those things, then you want to tune out everything else and just focus on the show we have for you today. And I think, Kieran, you're starting us in the right place, which is what the heck should we actually be solving for with team design? So go. So when I think about team design, I'm trying to think through how autonomous are my teams going to be? So for me, I think autonomous teams work best. And so autonomous is basically how I structured the teams in a way where those teams can have clear goals and can be truly accountable to those goals. And the way I think about it is you can have autonomous teams or teams of favor. And autonomous teams are like, I built the structure in a way where those teams have everything within their need. And so team design is not an excuse of why they do not hit their numbers. Where team or favors actually happens a lot. A lot of the companies I do conversations with or advisory with, they're in like this team of favors where they're like, oh, we own this metric, but we have to ask all of these other teams for favors to actually be able to hit our metrics. So I think autonomous matters a lot. I think how they collaborate with each other, right? Is it really clear what each team is responsible for, what their mission is, what you should ask that team for? Like if I have good team design, each team is kind of aware what other team do, what they're accountable for, what they can ask them for and who to go to for what. And then the other one that I'm, I'm actually interested in having a discussion about this because I'm trying to think through, is this a team design goal or just an operational excellence goal, which is how information flows across teams. There's like the, the flow of information matters more and more as you become larger. And so there are three of the things that I think about when I'm structuring for team design. I love where you're starting here. That third thing, which is like basically communicating within your team. I don't think that is team design. I fundamentally think that is like your team operating system, like how you communicate, yeah. how you share information, how you meet. I think that is also equally important and should be a whole nother episode. So let's kick that to a whole future episode. I love what you were talking about there with the team of favors. I would add another thing to, to think about is like amount of lobbyists. Mm. <laughs> a lobbyist is somebody who has no control, but has is trying to get stuff done and is just like pushing and pushing and advocating for something to get done. And the more lobbyists you have, the weaker your team structure is. Right. And that can and that could be within your marketing team or that could be within your whole company, right? If if you have lobbyists across company. So like a very good litmus test, if you're a CEO or if you're a marketing leader out there, you're like, if you just took a second, be like, who in my team can do the work directly versus who are the lobbyists who are advocating for those work? And you're always going to have some lobbyists as you grow and scale. But if you feel like the lobbyists are starting to basically overtake the builders and the, the core work that's happening, boy, you're in a real, real problem, right? Right. And so what happens is those lobbyists put stress on the teams because you have these teams that are like, hey, we own this goal, but I have several people coming to me and asking me for other things because they need my time for them to do their work or they need me to do something to facilitate them hitting their goals. And you start to get like this really weird dynamic where you have everyone's kind of dependent upon a singular team for those goals. And that team has their own goals. And it creates real friction, right? That's where you start to see real friction. Yeah. And that's what I mean is like, how do you know you've got an optimal team design? It's when team design is never used as an excuse for why we're not doing the things we said we would do. And I think when you know your team design is out of whack is like you have someone saying, well, I could not do this because of this team, or I could not get this done because of that team, or I don't have what I need to be able to do the thing you asked me to do. 
that's when you know you are in that kind of team of favors where you have too many lobbyists. So I wonder, uh, why do you think we end up with lobbyists? You said you're always going to have some lobbyists as the company grows. And I, I agree with that, right? We've seen that. But why does it happen? Well, okay. So I want to answer that question. And then I've got, I've got something I want to go to, to next. So why do you get lobbyists is because as a company grows, you have kind of your core objectives and you have your kind of next chapter, what I'd call next phase, next chapter objectives, things that you are going to need to do in the future to help you succeed to your next level of growth, but aren't core to the day-to-day of how the business succeeds in this month and this quarter. And that's where lobbyists are born, right? Lobbyists are born by the people working on the next phase stuff that are trying to lobby the people working on the current generation of work to kind of try to pull them into the future. And I think there's cases like that where that's a really healthy thing, but you can get into a habit where you just throw more and more lobbyists at the problem. And that is actually quickly becomes a negative thing. And the the two ways to stop doing this is I, I want to anchor everybody. If you're going to remember one thing from that I tell you from this episode, I would encourage you to remember what I'm about to tell you right now. I'm going to tell you the two hard truths about team design. And the first one is no team design is ever perfect. Every team design is flawed. If you think you have a perfect one, you are wrong. And we're going to talk about why that matters and why it's important to know that. The second hard truth about team design is that your strategy should always lead your team design, not your team design leading your strategy. If you don't have a clear marketing strategy and just how you're organized dictates the type of work you're doing, you are going to fail. Do you agree with my hard truths of team design, Kieran? Is there a third one you would add? What do you think? I agree with the second one wholeheartedly. The second one is the one that I think is most important, which is strategy leads team design, which is like you have team design fluidity because we restructure every 12 months based upon upcoming goals. And people, like we're hundreds of people on the marketing team and people find that sometimes have a hard time grasping why we do that. It's because of that very reason. Every year we ship a strategy. We want to orientate the team around that. I, I, want to, I want to argue about this one. I think the first one's more important than the second one. I think if you think you have a perfect team design, there's something wrong with you. <laughs> because well, like, no, wait, no, no, no. Th- this is what's important is the reason that that first one is more important is because it sets the tone for how you manage change as a leader. The problem is, I think the leader often knows that that team design isn't perfect, but pretends like it is to the team. And it's like, oh, hey, I know we have all these problems. This new way of doing things is going to solve all of our problems. And that might be true in some ways, but it's also going to create a bunch of new problems, right? And what you need to do to build credibility with your team is tell them the challenges and the faults in the way that you work and what we are going to do as a team to try to compensate for and be aware of this. And that's why I actually think it is number one on my list of why it's the most important. I have a counterpoint to that. Please. Okay, so (laughs) I think you actually, I would change one to you could have a perfect team design for a specific period of time. So there's a moment in time that you create a team design, which is perfect for that moment in time. And the reason that it's perfect is because you are vocal about the things that it is solving for and the things that it is not solving for. Mm -hmm. And I think that is why remapping your team to your strategy every 12 months really matters. But what you're saying is you're setting the tone to tell people we are solving for a specific set of problems with this team design. We know that this comes with other problems, but they are not the things we are trying to solve for right now. Yes. And this is a moment in time until why we try to facilitate that strategy. So that is the one kind of point of clarification I would make. And I would also say the reason in marketing you end up with 
lobbyists. I wanted to just counter that as well. I think you were 50% there. The other 50% is... Oh, so I'm an F. I, I'm an F. I, I got 50% right. Sweet. Okay. Sweet. I, think going, it, I think you're 60% there. I'll give you 60%. <laughs> there's, a, there's a 40% Kip that you and I have talked about forever oh, that you actually didn't bring up. I hate it when he does this. He throws the thing I said in the past back in my face. It's, let's go. You, you have... What do you have? You have channel owners... And people mm -hmm. who rely on those channels. Yes. And that is why you end up with lobbyists, which is like the brand team. What do they need access to? All of our media channels, all of the other channels. But those channel owners have their own goals of trying to drive awareness and demand through those channels. All of these other teams need access to those channels that actually give those teams distribution to do their stuff. And that's actually a lot of times why you end up with channel owners, people who own the channel, have their own goals. Mm -hmm. And then you have these kind of other people that are dependent upon those goals. And that's where team design needs to solve. Like, how do you get those teams to collaborate? How do you have shared goals? And how do you end up with not those kind of points of friction? Because in my experience, a lot of the friction has come from channel owners and program owners. Right. I own a channel. I own a program. Program depends on channel. You know, it's fair. I think that is the other core issue that comes here. But what we're really trying to tell everybody with this this point of the discussion, we've gotten into the like how your marketing team structure needs to be fluid. And what we are saying is your strategy needs to drive your team structure. And so depending on how frequently you change your, and evolve your strategy, which is probably once a year, you need to change and evolve your team structure. And then you need to tell your team why you are changing your team structure to fit that strategy and tell them the gaps that this new team structure has. And this kind of goes into our third point, Kieran, which is, which if you follow that methodology, no team structure should really look the same. There'll be a lot of similarities, but the only people who should have very similar team structures are people who are marketers who have very similar strategies. And it's like, I see marketers all the time going out and looking for kind of org charts and like, oh, this is how these teams are organized. And I'm going to kind of copy how that team is organized because that seems smart to me. And I think that's fundamentally wrong. I think you need to say, well, what are the core strategic imperatives I have? And do I have a team structure that is maximizing for that? So this is actually a good conversation, right? So why is every B2B marketing team not identical with only differences based upon if you're in the kind of S&B mid-market versus enterprise, which would cause you yeah. to have some differences? But there's four core groups. There's like creative product marketing, brand marketing, and customer demand gen. And like you can argue there's there's other groups, but let's say that there's four core groups. Yeah. And so why do they not always look the same? Because I, you've probably talked to many companies. I've talked to many companies and they are not always the same. There's, there's teams that have goals across each of those groups. So that's like a really good example is content, right? You can have content in customer demand gen, you can have content in product marketing, you can have content in brand. You could even say content belongs in creative. I don't think it does. But I think that's where I start to see things break down for people is like you have these kind of like set in stone groups, but then you have teams that kind of straddle all groups. And how do I actually structure or divide those teams? And the other reason that they're differentiated to your point is your marketing strategy should not be identical to everyone else. And so if you have strategy, lead and team design, you should actually not have an identical marketing team to everyone else because it should be very specific to your strategy. But there are some fundamentals. Do you agree there should be some like core staples of a B2B marketing team that kind of should look similar across companies? Maybe. I was thinking about it a little bit differently, which is I think there are some core guardrails that you and I have learned that we, we should share with everybody. I would call these the mistakes guaranteed to mess up your team, right? Because like we have lived them, we understand what they are. 
I think we should go back and forth. I can start. The number one thing on my list here is redundant teams, which means like, oh, I have a demand generation product marketing team for this product over here and have a whole nother demand generation product marketing team for this other product over here. That is the fastest way to fail at marketing today that I think is humanly possible. Yes, duplicate teams. Duplicate teams is the number one, like just don't freaking do it. It is stupid and it will make you really sad. Right. There's actually a famous story from Uber. You know, when Uber restructured their entire marketing team, it was actually for that very reason. Yeah. They had replicated their team across regions and they wanted to centralize everything back up into like some standard teams that service all regions. And we learned the same thing. Like I think that central team, best in class team, centers of excellence works really, really well. Because the second guardrail is structure your team so everybody has a great career path. Like if you like nestle in web developers across your team to do different work, yes. but they have no technical leader to help them develop their skills, for example, then they're going to leave and you're going to have no continuity of solving that problem. Right. And so you need to have a structure where everybody has a great and clear career path. Right. And then the big one for me has always been that I obsess over the team of favors versus autonomous can own my own mission. Yes. Because I this happened when we were building the product-led growth team in multiple iterations is when you look at the team and you looked at their metric yes. and you're like, who's involved in actually making sure we hit this metric? It was not just that team. It was a multitude of teams and those teams had different goals. So I think that's another one of my ones. And then the other controversial one maybe is like, there's like a, a sentiment out there sometimes that you build team structure around leaders. So you have an incredible leader and actually that leader can take on much more things a diverse set of things. And yeah, you have to kind of squint to see if that team structure makes sense, but they're such an incredible leader. We just want them to do that thing. I would say you build team yeah. structure agnostic of leader. I, I think that, again, coming back to my point, maybe if you're pre-seed or series A, it makes sense, like build team structure around incredible leader. And maybe it's not the right structure, but that leader is just so good. They're going to make real impact versus when you get bigger, that misalignment or that bad team design brings, well, doesn't matter how good they are, it just becomes a drag on your growth. And so I would build team structure agnostic of incredible leaders and then find incredible leaders that fit with your team structure. I kind of disagree with that. I saw the kid brain ready to disagree. Let's let's battle it out there. <laughs> um, look, I think that, I think as a leader, your job is to always lean into the strengths that you have. Like what are the strengths and the unfair advantages you have in solving this problem? And normally, on any team that comes down to a handful of really, really talented people, those people might be leaders, top-level leaders, mid-level leaders, individual contributors uh, across the board. But what you have to say is, I have this leader and that is exceptional. And you're kind of making an argument of like, you shouldn't artificially give that leader things that he or she is kind of a stretch to go along with the core stuff that they're working on. That I will agree with. But what I would disagree with is like, I think you have to lean more, invest heavier in those leaders, and you might even align things in an untraditional way. Because one of the things is you can rationalize alignment. Like one of the things we did that I think was unconventional is we put product marketing and all of our like sales and revenue marketing under one leader so that we had one point person that was the glue between not just marketing and the product team and marketing and the sales team, but also sales and the product team. And you had this like real clear alignment. And so I think there's a way to make a lot of different org structures work, but to do that, I, I think it does depend on remarkable leaders. So I'm gonna disagree with you there. Well, I think that you, you did that for alignment, right? You did that because there's a real reason to have those teams together. 
And then you, there's an incredible leader who can lead those teams. What I'm saying is like, there's an incredible leader and they can, they just have more capacity, but there's no yeah. reasonable choice or there's, there's no kind of choice you can make to give them more scope that wouldn't break your team design, which is like like completely built around your strategy. I'll give you a real example, right? Sometimes uh, you know, I go into, I talk to companies and they're like, where will growth sit, right? In PLG companies. Oh yeah. And some founders will say, well, we're just gonna put it wherever the best person is. Like there's just a person mm -hmm. that we think is gonna be incredible. doesn't matter if they could be lead in sales, they could be lead in marketing, they could be lead in product. But like there's just and a leader, they haven't really thought about the team design and they're just thinking, well, I'll just put growth of that person because they are the best person. And sure, I think that can work when you're like maybe seed series A and there's a certain, you just need execution. But there's certain points where that will cause friction, cause misalignment, and will cause so much noise. Dude, 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 you're totally wrong. You have like advocated for the opposite of this, where you're like, oh, I need somebody who's a builder in the early stage of an important project or important initiative for the company. And you've said that. And so I think what you would say is, oh, I'm going to put this with somebody who can build it in the early stage, even though it's not early stage. I said, that's what I would do. In well, early you stage. were talking early stage of a company. And I want to correct you because I think it's early stage of that project or product line or offering, whatever that may be. Okay. That's you could be a bigger yeah, yeah. company and you, you've got this th new thing you're incubating and it needs to be with a builder for the first year or two. And that org structure might not make sense, but you're solving a little bit more for the person and their ability to build it than the org structure. And then as it scales, what I will agree with you on is that's when you have to make it really fit and make sense in the org structure. Okay, that is what I'm saying. Yeah, so it, less of, I guess I'm using company size as a yes. yardstick to like say early stage of whatever project it may be. But to yeah, to be sure, like early stage builder, team structure does not matter, execution matters. And then latter stage, when it starts to really work, you have to put it in some sort of team design that totally makes sense. You and I are in, in agreement on that. So Kieran, I want to, in the last couple of minutes here, I want to give folks some really deep, actionable things that we are recommending that they go do based on this conversation to kind of evolve their team and, and their team design. And I think the number one thing we're saying is to have a clear marketing strategy and match your org design to your marketing strategy. To make that real for people, could you give us an example of what that like would look like in practice? Yeah, so I think that what we try to do is, you know, in, in companies, you have an overall company mission, you break that into like pivotal things that has to be done across a year for that business. I get asked all this time, like, how do you actually set strategy and goals for the marketing team? So company has mission, core mission never changes. We wanna help millions of businesses grow better. Beneath that is like three to five things that truly matter across that year that the company needs to actually execute on, do world class on. And then the marketing team ladder up, how, how are marketing gonna be accountable for that? Usually in three to five things. And you look at those three to five things and you start start to think to yourself, well, you know, strategically are we set up to make a meaningful impact there? And so a good a good example of us doing this is like what, one of the years we were like, oh, we really need to re-accelerate. The PLG business was growing really fast. The core business on terms of like the lead growth has started to slow down a little bit. And we were like, we had to really think about how we would re-accelerate there. And so we aligned a lot of the traditional acquisition teams and content teams together and rolled out this kind of search for a strategy. And that is an example of where we started to like redesign the team to facilitate one of the core goals we had for that year, like reimagine how we actually did inbound through a much more search first lens. And so you look at the core tent poles of what the marketing team needs to do across a year, and then you make sure that you have a structure 
that actually will be able to execute on those things. And coming back to what we discussed at the start, I think it's when you have a team that is autonomous can be much more successful, a team that is not dependent upon other teams and not you know, asking for a bunch of different favors. And to your point, you would roll it out with the things that it's solving for and the things that it's not trying to solve for. Yes. So I think that's a, I think that's a great tangible example for everybody out there listening. We gave you some guardrails as well as no duplicate teams that make sure you've got clear career paths for everyone. Those are just good, sound, clean living for any marketing team structure or organizational structure that you have. And I think that is, is one of the more important lessons. And then the third lesson here is agility. And Kieran, I think you opened this with like, you have to be willing to continue to evolve and change your team. If you have a static team design and org structure, it's just your work and your results get static, I think is your take. Is that what you believe? That is what I believe. Yeah, I think that if you do not have a fluid team design, it gets out of whack with your strategy, it becomes very stagnant and does not operate in the way that you want it to operate. The one thing we didn't talk about, Kip, is yeah. would you do what Elon does? Get rid of all managers, just make everyone an individual contributor, which is what he wants to do to Twitter. No, well, look, what I think Elon is trying to do is, I would not do that, but what he's trying to do is get the right balance. You know, he's overcorrecting. He thinks there's way too much overhead at Twitter, and he wants to overcorrect in the other direction. And I have no problem with doing some short-term overcorrection to, like, find some rebalance. I think... He, for publicity and everything else, is taking it to the far extreme and hyping it up. Yeah, they, but I think it's I, I think you want to look at the right balance of kind of overhead manager leader folks as well as kind of core individual contributor folks. And you don't want that balance to get all out of whack, right? Right. Imagine you're like an IC developer on Twitter and Elon buys a company and you're reporting up to like a senior manager or something. And overnight, Elon's like your boss and he's giving your performance <laughs> review on Twitter. And like, he's like, this, I'm giving this guy a C. He's useless. <laughs> it's like, he's, I canned yeah. him right after this. No, yeah, right? like can't we, we could do a whole a whole other episode on teamwork don'ts based on Elon and other le- leaders, right? But what we wanted yeah. to do today, and I thought we did a nice job of, was cover what are the core principles and gave you a lot of the great first principles around team design. We gave you some guidance. Watches. Kieran and I had some heated arguments and debates about some things we disagreed on that hopefully in that you found kind of your own side and own, own perspective to that argument. And I think it's really good. What I would love for everybody listening before we go, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or hit us up on Twitter with any team or questions you have. I'm at Kit Bodner. Kieran is at Search Brat. So hit us up with any specific team or questions we didn't cover. If you want a more like prescriptive version, we could do a part two of this episode. So I'm going to put it out there to the Apple Podcast podcast reviews and Twitter feedback for what we should do in terms of covering this topic anymore. But Kieran, anything else you want to add before we scoot today? No, I think uh, people will probably glaze over sometimes when you talk about team design. In my experience, it is like one of the most critical things for you to be successful is like learn how to optimize team and be doing it on an ongoing basis. I couldn't think of a better way and a better note to end the show. Until next time, it's been Marketing Against the Grain. See you all again real soon. 